0: Like the eternal city that is Rome, where the ecclesiastical splendor of the Renaissance completely enthralls the imagination. The dome of St. Peter's rises upwards like a heavenly choir. From the topmost pinnacle, the centuries that are Rome spread out in everlasting significance.
1: Hello everyone, it's Monday again, everyone's favorite day of the week uh, So Matthew, Matthew's the president of CatechismClass.com He's also an author, a podcast host, and a writer So Matthew, welcome on the show Thank you, Michael, good to good to hear about you and hear what you're doing, glad to be here Yeah, are you having a good Monday? Yeah, I like Mondays, you know, I try to like every day, so, so far so good here you just gotta really take it day by day. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, how's uh, your company doing? Uh, how, how? Wait, uh, we'll back it up a bit. How old is your company?
0: Uh dot started in two thousand and four. So we were we were founded uh, by a priest. His name is Father James Adelava. He since passed away several years ago. But actually at the time, so the internet was kind of new in 04, and he looked around and said, how can I use the internet to make the faith uh, digestible for people, reachable for anybody where they're at? And how can I use this modern technology in the same way that St. Francis of Sales might have used the printing press for the first time to to combat the errors of his time? Mm -hmm. So we started back then under his inspiration, and and, uh, have been continuing the work that he started since then.
1: Yeah, so... uh... What particular uh, challenges have you faced since taking over as president? Um, I feel bad for the guy who tries to take over like this uh, company, this multimedia company that I've started. Mm -hmm. Uh, Has it been like burdenful on you at all? Well, you know, I've always viewed uh, this particular work of mine as an
0: apostolate, so I don't really view it as a burden. Um, I've been, you know, I started uh, helping Father Zadalaba back in 2007. Um, 2008. And then I did uh, take over the, um, the administration of catechismclass.com in 2010 when he started to get a little ill. And then he he did suffer for about eight years with an illness before he died. Uh, but there's been a lot of challenges, uh, of course, but we do a lot. We try to make the faith uh, understandable uh, for people. So basically we make available online religious education classes that are self-paced, that people can take at their own pace, for all ages, whether you're ed- educating your children in the faith or adults. So, for that, obviously, there's lots of challenges depending on who you're working with. We work with parishes and individuals and people who want to convert to the faith, people who come from different backgrounds, people who feel like they weren't catechized well as, as a child, but have been Catholics their whole life. So, I do have conversations with these people. I do try to make available recommendations to them. So, we have You know, dozens of different courses uh, at all different levels. So we try to do what we can to in our motto is the motto of St. Paul to become all things to all people. Uh, So that's what I think you have to do, especially in the modern world today. You got to be all things to all people to to reach, you know, as many as possible.
1: Yeah, so I'm a big fan of St. Paul. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's really a lot of room just for uh, digital evangelization. It's really just starting out. Uh, the internet hasn't been around that long, and uh, there's right. not many saints like in this millennium. Blessed Carlo Acutis, are you a fan of his? Actually,
0: the the closest parish to me was recently renamed uh, to uh, to his name. Actually, yeah. So it's quite uh, <laughs> you know coincidental because I'm so active in in online work. Um, so many though opportunities though. So many people I've encountered early on were hesitant to the idea of using the Internet, saying, oh, the internet's used for bad things, too. We don't need that. We can just keep teaching religion as we are. And that would be, you know, as wrong as telling St. Francis to say, oh, don't use the printing press because the Protestants are printing all these false uh, Bibles and changing verses. So we don't want to do that. Just keep doing what you're doing. And, and that's not the issue. You know, we want to be Luddites. You know, we have to use technology. And we don't water down doctrine. Uh, we, of course, teach the same faith. We just use different means to do so. So, you know, the printing press came out. People used it. You know, telephone come out. People use it. Television came out. Archbishop Sheen was, you know, instrumental in television early on. Not everybody was a fan of television, saying it was a new thing. And the Internet is still in that same category. Too many people are hesitant to use it and adopt it because of some of the negative things about it addictive nature or bad content on it or what age should you be using it but that doesn't mean it's not an effective tool if you use it as a tool to teach the same faith that has always been taught
1: absolutely so uh, have you heard of the magisterium ai it's um the first catholic ai artificial intelligence that i've seen uh are you familiar with this at all no i'm not i am i have heard heard of people
0: working on some projects uh using ai to do things but i haven't heard of that one specifically and i and some of them aren't off the ground yet
1: i believe this one's really um kind of sponsored by a company that works with the vatican i don't know if the vatican's actually sponsoring it but it just launched like uh 10 days ago probably and okay. almost no one's talking about it. it's basically under the water. I'm going to try to interview this guy next month. Um but it basically just has all the papal encyclicals, all of like uh, the speeches the popes have given, uh, the mm-hmm. catechisms of course. And so you ask it questions like about Catholic doctrine and it'll give you the answers. Uh, okay. So it's still um a little rusty I'll say but uh I think that would be a really uh, good tool for evangelization because you have Mm -hmm. a lot of people, they don't like to talk to priests or uh, they don't like to approach people in their lives, but they'll go and type something in on the Internet and they'll Mm -hmm. get a true answer.
0: Yeah, I wonder how that would work, because obviously if you're asking a question like, you know, what is the assumption? You know, was the Blessed Virgin Mary assumed in heaven? I mean, that's a dogmatically defined. You get an answer. But there is other things like I talk about in, in writing. There's certain theological opinions that maybe certain theologians have that are strongly held by many saints, but but not all. So, for instance, um, you know, if we ask the the question, was Saint John the Baptist born without original sin? Most people say he would. Uh, he was he was born without original sin, conceived in it, but born without it because he was cleansed at the moment of visitation. But that's not dogmatically defined. But most saints are in that category. And then you have other things where maybe something's not dogmatically defined de fide, but it's uh, considered you know certain truth by theologians. So I wonder how something like that the uh, would really parse out to some of those granularities. So over the years, not only leading catechismclass.com, but I read a number of articles on apologetics. Church history, so many different things for different publications, actually, some of which are published every week. And sometimes I get into those granular sort of of differences as you really delve into things. So maybe something like that would be great at surface level. I would wonder, though, and and maybe because it's just how it would handle some of the very fine tuned things and also how people ask questions. Sometimes they're asking something they actually mean something else. Even just surface level, I've heard people yeah, say yeah. Immaculate Conception, but they're actually referring to the conception of Christ, not the conception of Mary's. And yeah, if that's you're Mary. new to the faith, you might not know that.
1: Yeah, so uh, how did you become interested in like the catechisms? Were you like a, a fan of reading the catechisms mm-hmm. growing up? Um, no, not really. So I really became Catholic in
0: high school. Um, and then, um, you know, actually at that time, I, I was using, you know, the internet that was around the uh, you know, early 2000s to really delve into some of the church teachings more and some of these, uh, the history. And then it was just a wealth of knowledge. So, and, but again, I love learning. I still try to learn every day. I am a third order Dominican. So um, learning and sharing the fruit of my learning is an important part of really my ministry and my life and and i'm you know privileged to be able to do so um of course not everybody though is is interested in that um but as time went on uh, i learned that you know what do we mean by catechism and this is something that i talk about in my book uh the roman catechism explained for the modern world that i just published last november i i walked through and it took me three years to write it it was a walkthrough of the catechism of the council of trent Explaining it, uh, really, with an eye to modern people, what does what does the church teach really against modern errors—communism or socialism or secularism—all these things, applying the perennial teachings of the Catechism of Council of Trent to these modern errors, and I did so uh, because a lot of people don't know about that Catechism, but it was the first official Catechism ever sanctioned by an ecumenical council. It was written under the direction of Saint Charles Borromeo. So you have a saint really yeah. leading it. So there's so much well, reasons why it's so so important that that we know a bit more about it. Yeah,
1: catechism. Yes, yeah, that's the Catechism yeah. of the
0: Council of Trent. Yeah. Yes. So my book was an explanation of that to condense it because it is a little thick. And I find like I want more people to learn the faith, but sometimes if you give them that. The, the language might be a little archaic yeah. in parts. The metaphors yeah. might be um, a little bit uh, dated. So how do you condense it and make it available and apply it to issues for today that, that today's Catholic space? So that's that's mm-hmm. what I did. And that, that's what I tried to do. But I understand that it, it, it can be difficult. And and I actually enjoy catechisms because the more I've gotten involved, the more I realize there's also many other catechisms. You have the Darby Catechism, the Father Keenan Catechism. I mean catechisms in the 1700s the 1800s the 1900s there's many and they were written for different audiences like if you're somebody Mm -hmm. who's like i really wish i had more information to refute some protestant errors maybe for my family or my friends the hayes catechism is a great one that was written by bishop hayes really to use scripture heavily in these citations to combat so that way you can go out and feel empowered to to have arguments with protestants but a lot of those aren't published much anymore and they're not talked about And um, that's also one of my missions too, is to make people aware of, there's just so many resources we have out there. Thankfully, a lot of these catechisms Mm -hmm. are now online. You can search for them, but for a long time, they simply did not exist. But the wealth of knowledge out there that we have to really use for the good of the faith is there. You just have to know a little bit of know-how where to find it and then have the desire to go out and do it and then share it. And and hopefully everybody listening like, I wish I could do more. I wish I could learn the faith more. And I tell people, try to learn and study 10, 15 minutes every day, something, and then share it with somebody else. And it doesn't have to be confrontational. You can post, you know, if you're on online and social networks, you can just do status updates and some things you're learning here and there. You can post things in your store. Mm -hmm. You can do it in a very non-confrontational way, but doing some sort of charitable outreach is important every day. And I think using Catechesis and and the church's teachings are are part of an effective
1: outreach. Yeah, um, and Blessed Carlo cutis has said that he like memorized the Catechism, and so that's all he had. He I don't think he read much saints. Uh, I don't really know if that's well known, but he just he would quote the Catechism, quote the Catechism. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: a lot of children would grow up uh, learning, you know, and memorizing the Baltimore Catechism. Yeah, and, and how way. easy that was, and. And, you know, there are stories of people who, you know, are going to kill themselves. And they're thinking "My wait, my purpose in life was to know, love, and serve God and be with him in eternity. alternative. I can't do this. So sometimes the, the memorization of learning these things early on and having it ingrained in you is really important. Because when you face difficult moments in your life, there's too many instances where people really looked and they're like, I know this. I learned it so long ago. It is so ingrained. I have to do this for the faith, or I can't do this, or I have to keep trying. So it's important that, that catechisms should be memorized. And, and the Baltimore Catechism is a great one to memorize, just because it's it's written in a way in which it's possible to memorize. Whereas, like the catechism you just showed, nobody would ever memorize that. It's not memorizable, but yeah. when we're talking about these some of these smaller ones, or even the Penny Catechism, you know, like our grandparents' age, or maybe a little bit beforehand would have known that one really well. It was really digestible, and you were meant to memorize it. So you had these handy um, things, you know, ingrained in your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the Peter Canisius Catechism? Yes.
0: Yes, I have. I have one uh, on my shelf over here. That was really the the first catechism. That was the one right before Trent. He wrote yeah. it in combat errors against Protestants in, in Germany, and very effective. Even Pope Benedict XVI referred to that Germans would refer to that for a very long time as the catechism, because it was so used in Germany, at, uh, you know, even even for centuries, he said afterwards. That was written.
1: Right around the Protestant revolt time, so even before Trent. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Do you have like a least favorite catechism? On the other hand, I'm, I'm assuming your favorite catechism is the catechism of Trent.
0: You know, I like that one because, because it's really, you know, the most authoritative there's never been an ecumenical council before that called for a catechism other than that one. So, I mean, in, in that sense, that is truly, um, I think one of the best, but I think a lot of catechisms have different uses. Um, mm-hmm. now if you ask what maybe some of the worst catechisms are, um, and I mean, there were some that were published in France, uh, years, years ago, um, and actually it might've been centuries ago where um, whether it was translation problems or the people putting it together, they were just filled with errors and they had to be taken out of, of publication uh, because the catechism is not actually infallible by putting something into a, a book and then putting catechism in the front doesn't make it an infallible. Catechisms are made of infallible teachings, uh, but it doesn't mean everything in there is infallible. You know, as an author, you could put a whole bunch of footnotes in there where, and, and they're not infallible whatsoever, for instance. Now, one of the worst catechisms that ever came out was the dutch catechism that came out in the end of the i think it was in the end of the 60s or so early 70s uh so much so that even the vatican kind of wanted to pull and eventually kind of fizzled away uh but but it definitely taught error uh, on contraception for instance this was before humana vitae but it clearly taught the contraception was okay um and, and then it had other errors as well so if you ask me my least favorite one is probably those you know those that yeah. are clearly erroneous that that should not be used but the great thing is there's so many good catechisms that you know put together by by saints for instance saint charles borromeo for that one or i mean you know the hayes catechism i said the father keenan catechism i think is very good the Dur- the darby catechism even the dewey catechism from 1649 really really good written for different audiences so um there's not like one that you know, it should always be used. And that's something I believe strongly to a catechismclass.com. So our lessons aren't just reading catechism passages. We have different integration of lives of the saints. Here's catechism passages, scripture that pertains to the lesson, maybe some church mm-hmm. fathers, activities to live out what you're learning, you know, integration, tying it together, having, you know, Father Zadlava's written uh, articles on it, closing prayers. So it's not just catechism passages, but even The section that is about catechism passages isn't just one catechism. We believe in a blended approach. And and I've actually found, you know, there was some years ago, a a woman uh, signed up for classes uh, through us, and she was reading the lesson on purgatory. And she said she'd been Catholic her whole life, so she's just doing this for fun. She's just trying to, you know, refresh herself. And she said she was in her 80s. So this is somebody who, um, it's good to see because most people that age aren't using uh internet taking her time to study religion um yeah so that was good but she said she was going through these passages and she said she's you know heard about purgatory her whole life but never quite understood it and she said she was going through our catechism part specifically because we quote a lot of different catechisms and they all teach obviously the same doctrine but they teach it in a slightly different way you know you might explain purgatory slightly different than i was slightly different than anybody else would Maybe the analogy you use, the metaphor this person uses, just the formulation, the sentences. So she said, like, one of those old catechisms that we quoted, she finally got it. She said it finally clicked. It finally Mm -hmm. made sense. Where before, she's like, got a vague idea. But then she said she really understood at that point. And that really goes to show the importance of not just relying on any one catechism. Um, You know, it's a blended approach to learning the faith. Same thing, dude, with with, if I'm quoting the church fathers, uh in something too uh don't just you know for instance I, here's what saint augustine says we move on i you know see who did what did the other people say the people before and the people after him see that continuity of thought there because yeah. people have different writing styles same thing with catechisms different styles and what style might work for you might not work as well for the other person you know i like the summa some other people maybe love the summa more summa less doesn't mean that's the only thing we should go to for what does the church eat and it's a great resource but it's one of many that holistically you have to look at. And that's what I think that we can do effectively nowadays. And we should be doing is how do you transmit the faith, all things to all people. You don't just say, you know, that you're just going to read this one thing you're done. Everybody learns the same way, the same, this from the same source, you know, you, you adapt and, and that can be very Mm -hmm. effective at transmitting that faith Uh, because it's not just an intellectual exercise as you would know. You have to live it out. You know, the faith has to be lived out. If you don't Absolutely, live it out, yeah. it's really useless.
1: Yeah, so uh, one more question about the catechisms. If there was an uh, outsider to the faith, what would be the first catechism you would recommend to that person? And it might really depend on their circumstances, but do you have like a general recommendation? A first- you know,
0: it really does depend. So, I mean, even before, you know, a catechism per se, one of the first books that that i read that i would encourage people still to read is this is the faith by canon francis ripley i think it is a great uh it uses the catechism great resource there we actually quote uh parts of it in our catechismclass.com classes so i'm a big fan of that i would i would say starting with that would be a a great uh, thing for an adult now for instance if your children are are um, not very informed in the faith. If they're converting, if they if they feel like their religious upbringing hasn't been that good so far, then maybe starting with something with you know the Baltimore catechism, just to you know grain yeah. some of that in and then move on. But it all depends on the age we're talking about and the background too. So you know if I have you know students who come to me and they say you know we're converting from Anglicanism, well there could be a lot different perspective than somebody who's who's converting who's Buddhist and Hindu who has no idea really they feel drawn to. Christianity, they say, but they're not really sure about anything. Or I suppose an Anglican, it's very already informed on a lot of these, and they can go to a much higher yeah. level. That's also why I'm a big fan of online classes too, because y- again, you adapt. Like that, that Hindu might need, you know, an introduction to religion course like we offer, an introduction to Christianity, just laying the basics. Whereas somebody converting from, you know, Anglicanism, for instance, or Eastern Orthodoxy, they're going to need a different catechism. They're going to have to be at a totally different level. So there, there is a the, there is a lot of great ones to start at, but it really depends on your level. Um, I do, I wouldn't recommend starting with the Catechism of the Council of Trent, actually. That's one of the reasons that I wrote uh, the Roman Catechism Explained for the Modern World, because the Roman Catechism is just another name for the Catechism of the Council of Trent to kind of teach it and make it accessible for today's Catholics. And and it is being used in some RCIA classes, I've been told, too. So that's that, that, that's good to hear. But um, yeah, I, I would just, you know, discern and especially somebody looking for recommendation, get an understanding of what kind of background they come with.
1: Yeah. So to kind of get deeper into like uh, the teachings of the church, uh, what's one really basic teaching, <clears throat> like a really simple Catholic teaching that you think a lot of people misunderstand or they don't know enough about when they should really uh, comprehend that? Um, like that, two plus two equals four Catholic teaching. Mm.
0: Well, unfortunately, I mean, there's going to be a lot of things that people don't understand. Um, like, you know, the necessity of confession, for instance, comes up, especially a lot of people. Why we have to go, why uh, clearly Christ established confession for a reason, and that is the ordinary means to receive forgiveness. Um, too many people don't know about that. That's pretty basic. I do think purgatory should be considered basic too or or even the mass you know the mass is a propitiatory sacrifice it is the sacrifice of christ and the cross made present again on the altar it is not a gathering of some sort of celebration where we just come together to hear people talk and and socialize it is a sacrifice it is a, it is it is a supreme form of worship you know we don't see blood on the altar but christ is being present again on the cross we're transported back in time with that and the priest is offering the sacrifice which is Christ, but in persona Christi. So Christ is offering himself to the Father. So that's the kind of thing that we should be picturing at Mass, too. And that's something that you can teach to, but you have to live it out, too. You need to go to you know, to Mass often, um, reverend Masses with priests who really also help emphasize that, too, in sermons, that the Mass is truly a great sacrifice. Um, that's something that um, a lot of people probably miss, too, but... There's something, for instance, uh, that I teach in in my book, "The Roman Catechism Explained for the Modern World," that I think is interesting, and, and I'll ask you the question, see if you know the answer. Mm-hmm. So this is per the Catholic Encyclopedia. Okay, uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia said this particular sin was the worst of all mortal, mortal sins that could exist. What do you think it is? Mm.
1: Uh, blasphemy. That's my guess.
0: Okay not blasphemy but good guess yeah <laughs> Although i guess in a sense it could be blasphemous but the worst mortal sin of all is idolatry that's yeah. a, idolatry so but to follow that's a logical conclusion to drop one grain of incense in front of a statue and to worship that statue is a worse sin than murder than murdering any number of people um, you know you think about any heinous sin you can think of that grain of incense was the worst sin because you were worshiping a created object made out of stone or plaster or whatever. And you're not worshiping the true God who lives. And um, that's, that's why if you actually think about that, that's why we have so many martyrs in the early church and uh, who had, you know, egregious deaths, you know, being ripped apart and, and you look at what did they actually do? They just, the Romans were, were people who were very open to a lot of religions actually, if you looked at them initially, they said, Oh, if, if Christ is your God, like we'll set up a, a statue to him in the Pantheon. You can worship him there and you can go around and worship all the other gods too, but we'll make room for him there basically. And, mm-hmm. and obviously it's like, no, he's not one of many guys. He's the only one. And we're not going to worship the other ones. And to such an extent, we won't condone the worship. So we're not going to drop these grains of incense in front of these other icons. And for for not doing that small thing. Uh, I mean, these people were ripped apart sometimes and tortured and had their families mm-hmm. tortured and murdered in front of them. And you look at that that kind of conviction that that's really what they believed. that it was that serious uh, because it ultimately is against the first commandment, the worship of God alone. And Christ himself taught that that was the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you can't do that if you drop a grain of incense, you know, in front of a statue. And even... Yeah. Even saints and theologians have said, well, what if, what if you don't believe it? Just do it. Nobody needs to know you're not believing it. Just drop it in and walk away. But, but no, the scandal that would cause that you cannot even do that because you would give the appearance. You are one in agreement with the worst of all mortal sins. So that's something I talk Mm -hmm. about in the book. That's something I talk about in my lesson, catechism class on the first commandment, how idolatry is really the worst mortal sin. And, um, Honestly, I've never heard a sermon on that before. But if you look up the Catholic Encyclopedia, that's what it says. It's the worst mortal sin because of what it signifies and how it attacks the very first of the commandments. And there's really, you know, an ordering in the commandments. You know, the first Mm -hmm. one, even Christ himself said, these, you know, two great commandments, that was really the first one.
1: Yeah, um, a little off topic, but where do you think, uh, or when do you think the breakdown in, like the lack of knowledge of just like the teachings of the church, the basic teachings, like when do you think that started? You'll hear some different conflicting opinions. People say the American church was kind of breaking down even before the second Vatican council. Mm -hmm. Say like in that fifties generation, there was um, kind of, it appeared as if it was a very conservative generation, uh, but something led to the sixties, something led to the seventies. So when do you think that breakdown really started? That lack of awareness.
0: Yeah, I, I think that. Well, obviously, I think if we just look at statistics for number of baptisms, or priestly vocations, or enrollment in religious education or schools. We we see really after Vatican II in the in the 60s and 70s just it fell off a cliff. But if you look at it holistically before, and you do see problems. And I think w- one of those problems, if you look at uh, at the American Church, was was really the election of JFK, because if you think about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Catholics were the minority in America. You, we were discriminated against. You know, people would be like, "If you're Catholic, don't apply. I won't hire you. You know, I don't want anything to do with you." Um, and and this went on for a long time. That's why Maryland was founded as its own colony. It was really a colony for Catholics. Because Catholics weren't welcome in other colonies. Those were under Protestant mm-hmm. rules. And they didn't want Catholics there. And for a long time, it was kind of like Catholics felt like outsiders. How do you be an American and and how do you be Catholic? And, over time, there was a lot of acquiescence to the culture. Ultimately, I think when JFK was finally elected, they're like, oh, we made it. You know, we, we just want to be like everybody else. And so what does that mean? We, you know, we don't treat the faith quite as seriously because for, you know, for us um, for a long time, and I talked a lot about this and write about this, we had so many other holy days of obligation. You know, we don't just go to mass on Sundays like, you know, these other Protestants just go to church on Sundays. And a lot of them, you know, maybe don't even do so. Um, but we have a lot of other days. We used to have many more days, and we used to have many more fasting days too. So much so that you know, even in the decades before the '60s, there were a lot of exceptions and dispensations made for people in America for one reason or another. Um, even in the 1700s, a lot of Catholics in Maryland were exempted from a number number of holy days of obligation because they were really under the working under Protestants who wouldn't let them go to mass. So they were just given dispensations because. Uh, because the they didn't want to you know let these people sin. Um but you really look at that that fabric in America, I think for a long time if you look at that, it was a a cultural issue that ultimately led to that. And then people felt like we made it, JFK's elected, and then we have the really the decadence of the people in the fifties. So right after World War Two, um, you know, during beforehand, if you look uh, at history, you got the Great Depression, then you have World War II. There's so much rationing. People people are living in fear yeah. and it's finally open. Now. Now that's where materialism really, you know, reared its head. People just want consumable things. It's OK if this is disposable. You know, we just want to buy a lot. That's when advertising in America became huge because products want to differentiate it. People just wanted to consume and consume. And it almost be like because of those reasons. People became more secular, and then at the same time, you have JFK being elected, and then Catholics almost feel like it's not as important to be Catholic anymore. And then as the centuries went on, I mean, as the decades went on too, a lot of those Catholics we were we were living with others in communities. Like if you were Polish, you lived with a lot of other Polish Catholics. You also had the heritage of these are these are where my forefathers were. There's a lot of you know ethnic uh, pride to Italians, Irish, etc. And and around that same time, people were like, well, let's leave the city. Let's start going to the suburbs. And a lot of that fabric of unity was also rent. So I think it's really multifaceted why people ended up viewing religion as, especially, you know, our faith is not as important. And really, when you see the changes that occurred, you know, after Vatican II, people felt like that doesn't really matter as much anymore. And that's really when you see it go off the cliff. But there was a lot of cracks leading up beforehand, I think, for all of those reasons.
1: Yeah, and I heard somebody say before that JFK, uh, the moment he said that he wouldn't let his Catholicism influence his uh, decisions, that was really the downfall of American Catholicism, like even up until now. You see Joe Biden, our Mm -hmm. second Catholic president, he says the exact same uh, line. He won't let his Catholic teachings influence his decisions, and they, uh, on a number of issues, they haven't influenced his decisions uh, for the better. right so, yeah.
0: yeah and i mean that and but but our faith is one which uh, requires us to live out a certain way you know at all times so yeah. when they say martyrs Christian.
1: as well not uh, one drop of incense they wouldn't even uh, appear appear to be worshiping idols. right
0: and for that i mean that's why when you read the lives of the saints with that mindset of they wouldn't do any of this like wow those kind of tortures you know they went through for something that is so mm-hmm. trivial And here we have self-proclaimed Catholics, you know, in positions of power, you know, lobbying for, you know, all out murder and genocide, really, of entire peoples, especially the unborn, you know, Mm -hmm. and and they they do that. And that's because the faith is no longer a part of their life. You know, they might say just because you say you're Catholic doesn't mean you are. You know, our Lord said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the king of heaven. You know, not everybody who says I'm Catholic really is. Because even if you picked up the Kinesias Catechism that you reference, he says in there, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, one must be baptized. One must be under the same authority in the church, under the authority of the pope in the, in the organizational hierarchical church, united in the same sacraments and believe the same body of doctrine. So it's not just a matter of, oh, I'm baptized. I'm, I'm Catholic. No, they might have been, they might have been Catholic. They're no longer. They've separated themselves. They no longer believe in the doctrine. They're no longer practicing the faith. They 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 have to be you know sacramentally received back into the church, uh, and, and some mm-hmm. of these people serious sins too. So um, it, it's really quite unfortunate the perception these people give that you can leave Catholicism at the door and you can go on with your life otherwise, and that's not the case. So hopefully we know we have the chance to go to mass more often and to pray the rosary every day and spend some time learning the faith. And then when you really integrate that, that's a part of my day. That's part of my life. That's who I am. You know, it's not just one factor amongst things, you know, learning religion isn't just something you do to confirmation. Then you're done. It isn't something that is even kind of passively done in the background. No, like when you are confirmed, you were meant to be a missionary for Christ forever, you know, and, and to go out into the world. And that, that has a real meaning. So, I mean, that doesn't stop at any point. You know, The if you think about it, the battlefield is very large here. You know, a lot of souls yeah. have to be won and re-won. So I think that uh, those who feel the call to do something for the faith, there's a lot of opportunities. And um, that's one thing I liked about your your channel. You know, it's all about um, Catholicism for the modern world. The modern mm-hmm. world needs to be evangelized. Um more so maybe any time time before so i mean there might be plenty of parishes in your area like in my area too few people go to them you know so we are very much in mission territory again you don't have to think about missions or oh i'm going to some far away distant islands i'm going to preach to people there like the mission might be in your own family it might be in your own house it's it's certainly in your own town your own neighborhood so that's the mission that you can serve today
1: I'll say I'll ask you for some ideas about that local evangelization. Uh, one idea I had just the other day was uh, I was kind of stealing this one from the Protestants. So they they mail me uh, just letters, just folded up letters uh, with a stamp on them. It probably doesn't cost much to send those out, but they I'm assuming send those out to like every person in the town, uh, and they're they're well decorated letters as well. So i'm assuming that attracts a lot of people to those churches there's Mm -hmm. a catholic church just uh, right up the hill probably about two minutes away from my apartment Uh, Mm -hmm. i was thinking about doing the same thing just going out and buying buying a bunch of stamps then taking uh, a letter printing that out at the library and sending those off so if you have any ideas like that If you uh, i mean that's great that
0: that's that's the way to to think about there's a lot of things one can do to to evangelize and i, I think that that is a great one uh because Thank the you know. mean, protestants do to do that i mean even just dropping off flyers in people's mailboxes if you don't want to use a stamp and letter you know maybe you want to go around and, and do that maybe um <clears throat> like there's organizations out there so i've supported like saint paul street evangelization before um you know finding ways to form chapters uh and do that you can buy cheaply online prayer cards uh, I think like the, our lady, of the rosary library website, dot org has lots of them. Um, I think you have to like order through the mail, uh, but you can like download an order form there, but you can buy them in bulk, very cheap prayer cards, pamphlets too on the faith too. So I have keep a lot of them in my bag and you know, if I go to a coffee shop or so I'll put it on the board, you know, if there's a bullet, if there's a bulletin board with information, mm-hmm. put something on there for the faith. And if you see anti-Catholic stuff on the board, take it down. You know, yeah. we don't want people exposed to that. So, you know, do, to do that as well. So, um, in, in my city, there's these free libraries around town. So some people have books in there. So I, I take out books that are anti-Catholic. You know, yeah. there's certainly atheistic ones. There's, there's some really vile things. So, I take them out, throw them away, um, put put good things in there. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. even in the past have gone to places that are like secondhand stores. So it's not I'm not supporting the publisher. But look at the shelf and if there's very vile anti-Catholic books, I'll buy them and just dispose of them Uh, because I don't want people who are genuinely looking for the faith, usually lower income people walking in and like, Oh, okay. uh, You know, I'm interested in religion. I'll learn about this. And then they read a book full of lies. So uh, that's something that I've encouraged people to do too.
1: Yeah. We had the exact same idea with the little free libraries. I've actually made a YouTube video about that. There's one just right up the hill as well. So, Um, even I was kind of, uh, taking the books and I was like writing letters, um, putting those letters in the books and they had my phone number on in my email. So, um, nobody's reached out to me that way yet, but, um, I think that's really what it's going to take. Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe not even on all of the Catholics, uh, not every Catholic has to do stuff like that, but even if just, uh, 10 of us in a city do that, 10 Catholics Uh in a city, I think John Chrysostom said that uh, 10 Catholics can light up an entire city. Mm-hmm. And and it was, you know, it was
0: said, I think, um, of St. John Vianney, that, that Satan revealed that if there were like three priests like him in France, that he would have lost, the Satan would have lost his hold on all of France. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just need a few people really committed, you know, to the faith, really committed to going out there and, and being all things to all people. So sometimes that involves... Inviting people to Mass, putting those things out there, dispelling errors, always doing it in a charitable way, too, though. So I th- i don't want people thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you're you just going out there and, and standing on a box and preaching, because that turns people off. It's no longer effective. There's certainly ways we can do so. I'll even go to YouTube videos. So if I have a YouTube video, I glanced at the other day, somebody was talking about their routine on a Sunday. There was no mention of going to Mass or anything. I, don't, I doubt the guy was Catholic, but I put on there, too, like it's common, like, Oh, Sunday's also a great day to go to mass and worship God, you know, like just mm-hmm. little things like this. Not like, I can't believe you would publish this video. Clearly you're a heathen because you didn't do this. No, no. So you always reach out to people politely mm-hmm. recommend things. Um, if you have family who you don't think are going to mass, reminding them, you know, um, you know, saying things in a way, you know, bringing up, Oh, it's a good, uh, good idea to go to confession now and then to people who you know haven't in a while. So you could be very effective. And then when they really, you know, if they bring it up and open up one day, that that's, that's a, the door is more open to have more conversation, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't yeah. be putting nudges here and there. And of course, li, li, uh, living by a good example too. So I've, mm-hmm. I've given talks before at different conferences and one of which was a youth conference. And uh, I talked about several things there, but one of which I talked about was, You know, we can know the truth of the faith through reason, intellectual formation, obviously. You know, we can learn the knowledge of God this way. We can learn a lot of the truths of the Catholic Church this way, but also through miracles. So I I have a whole course on catechismclass.com on just miracles because there's just so many. Eucharistic miracles, miracles of Our Lady appearing, you know, the stigmata, the incorruptible saints. Like, there's just so much there. The religion has to be true because these can't all be false. And they can't all be tested by signs like some of these eucharistic miracles and then confirming them so like the evidence is so significantly in our favor so and then that's part of it but the other part too is beauty you know you know sending people to beautiful reverent traditional liturgies where people are like wow this is the worship of god it's not about me it's about god you know and like beautiful art that's why stained glass was used for so long and beautiful painting so it lifts the soul up. sacred music we talked about sacred music before the show started, how like, yeah. useful that can be a lift of soul. So some people are won by intellectual arguments. Some people are, are won by beauty and mystery. Sometimes it's a combination of the both. But no matter what tool you're using, you know, to evangelize, you have to live a holy life. Because if you personally don't and, and you look like a hypocrite, it doesn't matter. You know, you're like, oh, you should believe in in, in the faith. You know, I'll give you all these arguments. And I have all this proofs and miracles that's prayed and look at these churches so beautiful and you experience it, but then, you know, you see me living a very hedonistic life at times. So I don't live by what I, what I preach. And then, you know, our Lord says, you know, remove the plank in your own eye before you go out and help others. Because if we do that, if we have the plank in our own eye and continue to live a sinful life or we're not going to be effective uh, at way, that doesn't mean we don't go to confession often. We try to live a holy life, but if you're clearly Saying one thing and living the opposite, then you're a hypocrite and you're not going to be effective in, in winning souls. In fact, you probably turn more people away. So mm-hmm. you know, that's why the interior life of prayer, regular mass, and everything uh, is so important and, and is key in my lessons too online. It's key in all as I try to live too. So, I mean, obviously, learning the faith is so key, but if you don't live it out, uh, it, you know, you don't benefit from it because it's not like learning math or learning history or learning. Yeah. Science. It's got to be lived out, or or it's really useless.
1: Yeah, it's really that uh, last one percent that, like St. Thomas Aquinas mentioned that uh, it's better than the previous ninety nine percent of uh, rational knowledge. You still have to have that rational mm-hmm. knowledge. But that true love of God is really what right. It Goes
0: hand in hand. Study the Catechism with your children, yourself, but then live it out. It's not just like. Well, all this stuff in the catechism and I don't do anything with it. No, I live it out. You know, yeah. you have to,
1: I think that's uh, one of the big issues. You have a lot of uh, Catholic cradle Catholics who go off to college and then they completely disregard the faith. Uh, though they may have went to mass every Sunday growing up. Uh, they noticed that their parents weren't living the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they kind of, they were only uh Sunday Catholics. So that, that was all their religion consists of and when they got to, college they found something else to do on sunday so mm-hmm. um yeah i think those things you mentioned is beauty and like that traditional catholicism um there was uh, some of the evangelists maybe not saint patrick some of those other like irish evangelists they actually uh like composed a lot of songs because songs the pagans could memorize mm. the pagans were listening to those uh I don't know, really drum heavy songs like songs about nothing. Uh, and so like these evangelists came, these missionaries with a lot of Christian hymns uh, and like those hymns, they kind of became earworms in these pagans heads and it kind of taught them those basic truths of the faith. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we're really uh, it's a it's a bright uh, moment in the church. Like a lot of people are realizing that something has to change. hmm kind of like it takes the the patient the sick patient they have to go to the doctor first they have to recognize something's wrong before they get that assistance um so yeah i think uh and the church has been through trials of course
0: before you know there's been great trials whether you know after you know the french revolution all the people who suffered in france because obviously the atheistic french government literally set up a, a statue in honor of of reason and told people to worship this statue. That this was gonna be yeah, the that was in
1: statue. the Notre Dame, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, that statue. Yeah. So I mean, you had times like that. You had times, you know, you long before with the you know Arianism and Gnosticism really affecting the church. You have St. Athanasius, what excommunicated slash exiled multiple times. So I mean, the church has gone through many different trials, uh in certainly different places and such. But every Every age has its own unique trials. You know, we're living through these trials right now. Uh, But just like with the Protestant uh, revolt, God raised up saints. You know, he raised up St. Francis de Sales. He raised up St. Charles Borromeo. I mean, St. Francis de Sales converted 72,000 people back to the faith who had lapsed into Calvinism, basically, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So prolific. Or you look at the same time at St. Francis Xavier everything he did in the mission field in the East before he ultimately died, you know, out there, but he baptized uh, more people than everybody else except St. Paul, you know, thousands and thousands of people. So also at this same time and St. Dominic, you know, and and everything the church did to bring the faith to the new world that was found at that time. So, so much was done then. uh, And God made that possible. So I, I do think, um that using modern technology and using modern uh, resources to further the same faith that our forefathers knew and loved and died for is is so essential and, and that's yeah. why i like hearing about your channel too like yeah we do have to embrace the modern world we do have to go out there and do whatever we can to be all things to all people like saint paul and that's that's what we're going to do and uh because yeah. hopefully god raises up us and other people to fight that fight
1: yeah. So to go back a bit, uh, I think putting letters in mailboxes is, is illegal. Uh, I think that's the reason like UPS doesn't put their packages in the mailbox because mm-hmm. those are like reserved for the post office. So that's a disclaimer. Um, but, like I thought of something better to just take that uh, letter, um, maybe lay it on their front porch or even knock on their door and hand that to them. Or, um yeah, the front porch might be
0: might be effective then. Um, that yeah. it, it with, with like flyers like that, I do think people might be turned off to the knock on the front door sort of thing because there's that stigma of Jehovah's Witnesses
1: always doing that. Oh too. yeah, see, I wasn't thinking of that. That's a it's really good point. Uh, yeah, they, they kind of ruined God. that. They ruined yeah. a good thing. So right, hmm. but uh, pretty much everyone has a social media platform of some type nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about how these saints converted thousands of people um, well like some uh, people on facebook they have millions of followers right so they're just using uh, those social media platforms for good talking about the gospel mm-hmm. and i was uh, mentioning the other day uh, so there's probably um, two billion not quite two billion catholics uh, around there anyhow if all of those catholics that are on social media it's probably a billion if they just posted, use the hashtag, like posted Catholic teaching, just mm-hmm. for one day, it would like create a shockwave right. across the world. Yeah, yeah I mean,
0: they and nobody else has to do it constantly all the time. Sometimes it's just being a good example, knowing you live a holy life and occasionally mention things like that. I mean,
1: could be really effective. Yeah, so I think uh, that's definitely what I've noticed that you're doing. So I definitely, uh, I'll keep... A catechism class in my prayers, your postulate. Thank Is you. it a non-profit organization? Uh, no, we're not legally set up as a non-profit, uh, but we do try
0: mm-hmm. to make all of our classes available very uh, affordably for everybody who needs them. Um, yeah. As I said, for all different levels too. And then I also do obviously writing as well. I have several books uh, out as well. And then I do my own podcast too called the A Catholic Life Podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. So I publish that on uh, a catholic life.blogspot.com but it's also on you know spotify or apple or anywhere else people consume you know podcasts
1: yeah so uh tell everyone the name of your book again how many books have you written Uh, i've written
0: a few the most recent ones are uh, the one that i've referred to a few times here is the roman catechism explained for the modern world um it was published last year I, i thankfully had bishop uh Athanasius Snyder read it and endorsed it. Uh, a number of other people mm. too, um, like Hugh Owen from the Center of Creation did so, or um, uh, a few other people as well, like uh, the guy who runs the Crusade Channel, he he also re- uh, endorsed it as well. So I had a lot of people come out and support the yeah. book. So I'm glad that people care about good traditional content, you know, um, being made available for people to consume and learn the faith. Mm-hmm. So that was the first book. And the other book, that, that I've written is the definitive guide to Catholic fasting and abstinence. So that's, uh, I speak a lot on uh, the forgotten history of fasting um, and, and I write a lot on it too. So that book is kind of my complete history. And the interesting thing is priests have told me, um, I mean, priests who who do radio shows too and YouTube channels. So they're not just, uh, you know, any priest, they're people who read a lot. And, and I have been told 95% of the book is new to them. Um, because oh, there wow. is so much here that has been forgotten. When you talked about cracks in the foundations of, of the faith, you know, in the fifties and such, I can think right away, like fasting and absence would really underscore our life of Catholic. It was as critical mm-hmm. as, you know, going to mass on holy days and Sundays. It was just so ingrained in your life for a while there. You, you were going to, you were having to fast, maybe, um, a third of the year early on in the church. You know yeah it was like three they, days a
1: week there were three traditional days correct yeah
0: wednesdays fridays and saturdays but then you had the ember days you had uh, maybe some penance during the rogation days, all of lent obviously 40 days before christmas was the saint martin's lent uh, advent fast you had the assumption fast in august the apostles fast in june all vigils of the apostles and a number of saints so all this was regulated so there was a lot of days So, that my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, is about that, how to reincorporate penance in our life using the example of our forefathers. And sometimes it's just shocking to know, like, this is what we lost. You know, so many people, this was what even even the discipline that was in in place in the 40s was way stricter than now. But I mean, that was nothing compared to there. Like, every generation watered it down, watered it down. Um, and, And it's really sad. So, I really delve into historical records. Uh, again, thanks to modern technology, I, I was able to find it. I was able to find all these scanned documents, some of which didn't even know existed. Some of which were tra- I had to help you know translate into English and mm-hmm. uh, tried to make that available. So part of what I do is to try to make more people uh, practicing you know uh, obviously the faith and making reparation and living a life of mortification in honor of Our Lady of Fatima's request for penance. And one of the reasons I encourage people to do so is to adopt more traditional fasting and absence. So the book is really a history mm-hmm. as well as uh, a means to put in practice for you and your family, some recommendations to live it out to. And, and I've really heard from a lot of people how effective it has been. So um, those are my two books. That's a long answer. But I, I mean, I, I don't just write them and move on. I do really, really care about them. Uh, I really spend a lot of time on each of them.
1: Yeah, they both sound great. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the town of Nineveh, the book of Job, how they even put the animals on a fast. Yeah, we we definitely need to do prayer, penance and alms uh, Mm That really be uh, what changes that interior life and really what reignites the fire. So uh, it's been a pleasure of a conversation went by very quickly. We did about over 50 minutes. So thank you for coming on, Matthew. Uh, I encourage everyone to go check out catechismclass.com and also check out those books. Uh, And so we're almost done with Monday, everyone. Just finish it out strong. Thanks again.